travel changes you, right? That's what they say. Travel changes you, and it certainly has changed me. Every time I leave this country, I'm changed, right? Seeing how different people, different cultures do things differently than the way that I'm used to doing things. So I just returned home two days ago from Italy. I had the great fortune of spending nine days on vacation with my family on the Amalfi Coast, and this trip changed me, right? Because they just do things differently over there, certainly differently than we do things here. So no matter where you're from in the world, right? Uh, Africa, Asia, Europe, South America, North America, I think you'll be able to take something from this episode. I'm going to share my observations and insights from this trip. Six key takeaways. I'm going to tether them to a series of actions we can take to make our businesses stronger, to make our restaurants better. Please don't go anywhere. Can't wait to share my insights from this trip. Don't go anywhere. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast all about helping chefs and operators build more profitable restaurants. Each week we toggle back and forth between a monologue style format and an interview, but the goal is always the same, to take complicated concepts both on the marketing and operations side and make them both understandable and actionable. Why? Because like I always say, information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now, despite easing restrictions, we're all still strapped into the roller coaster ride of fluctuating food prices. That, combined with continuing staff challenges, makes it more important than ever to control your costs. Why? To remain profitable. Margin Edge is a restaurant management software that uses POS integration and invoice data to show you your food and labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment rather than weeks after the period ends. By automating your invoice processing and totally digitizing your back office, Margin Edge saves your team hours on paperwork and gives you instant insights so that you can manage your prime costs. Take control of those costs with real-time data. Best of all, listeners of this show get to try Margin Edge for free for 30 days, right? One month free, no contract, no setup fee, free and unlimited training and support. Learn more by visiting marginedge.com slash chip. That's marginedge, M-A-R-G-I-N, edge.com slash chip as always that link is in the show notes now as i said at the top i just returned home from italy travel is something that is uh has always been really important to me even though i haven't done all that much of it when i was 15 i went on my first uh, trip i left the country for the first time and i went to italy uh, my best friend growing up uh, was a first generation uh, american his mother was born in italy and they were going back uh, to visit some of her family and to tour the country uh, because she wanted to have uh, her kids to have a connection uh, to the country where, where she was from and m- me and my mom uh, my mom and i went with uh, went with them and that trip 
changed me. We spent just about three weeks in Italy, and we um, we stayed in small towns uh, with their family. We also toured all over the country, and uh, and it really it really blew my mind, as I think travel does for so many so many of us. And for whatever reason, it was like another twenty years before I left the country. Right now, part of that is uh, is the lifestyle I had when I came here to New York. I wasn't making that much money. Uh, I, I'll remind you, uh, I moved here uh, to pursue a career in theater, uh, and so that's actually how I got involved in uh, in restaurants. Because what do you do as an out of work actor? You go get a job waiting tables, and so I was always living paycheck to paycheck, week after week after week, and I never really had any discretionary income, any extra to be able to travel. My extra was all uh, went into savings so that if I went to do a job that didn't pay very well, an acting job, I could afford to take it and just dip into my savings, just deplete my savings. There was never uh, like, let's stock this away to go on a trip. And uh, I'll say it's like 2016, 17, 18. I really started feeling the itch and I was really, um, I was really dissatisfied with the fact that uh, I hadn't been out of the country in all of those years. So I traveled in uh, the summer of 1996. That's when I first went to Italy. And again, spent just about three weeks there touring all over the country, seeing everything, every little nook and cranny of that country. Um, And again, about 20 years uh, after that, uh, 2016, 17, and then into 18, I was really dissatisfied with it. And I remember saying to my wife in 2018, because for the most part, I just kept that to myself. But in 2018, I said to her, I said, I love traveling. You love traveling. We just don't travel. And I really want to make it a priority. So I just want to pick a spot on the on the map and I want to go. Once a year, I want to travel out of the country. I want to see something new, someplace new. And our son was getting older. I said, he's now getting of the age um, that uh, he can appreciate it. And I want to be able to do this for him. So that was in 2018. It was one of my goals for 2019. As you know, I don't do uh, New Year's resolutions. I set goals for myself. And one of the things was is that we're going to go on a trip just for us for like a long weekend. doesn't matter where. Just just time with just the two of us, my wife and I. And then we're going to do a, an international trip for the three of us, for the two of us and our son. And we did that. We went to Antigua for a long weekend to, to go sit on a beach uh, for a couple of days. Uh, and then at the end of that year, at the end of 2019, we went to Paris. You'll remember I did an episode about that way, way, way back where I shared my insights from that trip. Uh, and then we had booked another trip for 2020, uh, actually two more trips, and they both got canceled. We tried again for 2021, but again, the pandemic was still here. Uh, and so we scrapped those. And now... We can finally travel. It's 2022, and so we've booked a series of trips. The first one, uh, the first major trip, was this trip to Italy that we just returned uh, home from. So let me just say right up front, if it sounds like I'm this jet-setting New Yorker who goes all over the world, it's not. I work very hard uh, for the uh, – the ability to pay for these trips. We save up, we squirrel away every little nickel, we travel on the cheap so we can enjoy our time there. Uh, uh, Our flights over to Italy were dirt cheap. Uh, The Airbnb we stayed at was uh, was booked way in advance so we could lock in a good good rate. So I'll say that right from the start. This is not something, uh, this is not me bragging. This is just something that I've worked very hard to do and I love it. And I love uh, I love taking in these other cultures and learning from my trip there. And I love being able to uh, to sort of put that through the hopper and share those insights with you because uh, our nine days, right, like a week and a half in Italy was phenomenal. We loved every second of it. 
But what I want to do is I want to sort of distill down some of my key observations. There's six main takeaways, not a couple little bonus ones at the end, not quite a key takeaway. They're a, they're a little appendix to the main episode. But I, I want to share them with you um, because, again, I was struck as an American who was raised here, lived here, you know, does business here. I was struck by by some of the really key differences. And, and I want to try and find some similarities and I want to find some, some action points, right? What we can take away, and I'm certainly doing this for myself, and I'm just trying to share that with you. What can we take away from this trip and apply to our own businesses? So the first the first one that struck me, and, and I think most Americans who travel are, are always struck by this, but when I went to Italy, right, we were on the Amalfi Coast. We stayed just outside of Sorrento, up in a villa up on the hill. The food was amazing, all of it, all of it. It was all local. It was all fresh. Nothing came from more than a few kilometers away, right? Nothing was frozen. Nothing was processed. Everything was fresh that day. And, and that's what, you know, Europeans are used to shopping that way. So here, Americans, we're used to going to the supermarket once a week, right? And we're stuck with a lot of frozen food, a lot of processed food, right? But Europeans, they'll go out, they'll they'll shop for food once a day or once every every other day, right? They'll figure out what they're going to eat today and tomorrow. They'll go get that and they'll pick it up. And so that struck me right off the bat, right? The, the way that they use markets and, and supermarkets and, and the little shops and all that, how much they keep in their fridge, how much they keep on hand on, on any given day. It's just very different from how we live, certainly how, uh, how my household uh, operates. We do shopping once a week and, uh, and, and not so over there. And it was the same thing was true with the restaurants. Now, we stayed outside of Sorrento. Sorrento's a coastal town, right? It's literally right on the water. There are two main ports there. And, uh, and every single day, right, We the, the seafood restaurants uh, get their fish fresh from the fishermen that literally walk up off the dock and sell their fish to the restaurants. So there's no, uh, there's no middlemen. For a lot of these places, there are no middlemen, right? There are no distributors, no, no purveyors, no. It's just the guy goes and catches the fish. He comes in, sells it to the restaurant. They prepare the fish and serve that fish later later that day. That was the case, uh, certainly not across the board, I'm sure. But more often than not, the number of vendors where they had direct relationships with was 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 staggering. And and that struck me because that's not that's not the way pretty much uh, typically that we work here in, in America. Maybe certain markets, yeah, uh, for sure. But but for the most part, I think this is a very big country, and uh, that's not the way that works. Again. What struck me is number one, the differences of like how they shop and, and 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 all of that. But really, it was that everything was local and fresh, right? We were we went to a, a, a lemon farm, right? We went to a lemon grove, and they were saying, oh, they're not allowed to wax their fruit, which means they can't ship them, they can't travel because they're they're going to spoil if they put them on a, a cargo uh, in a cargo hold. They're all gonna they're all gonna mildew and mold uh, over the course of that trip. So if you want a, an Amalfi lemon. The only where to get the only place to get that is in Amalfi or in Sorrento or in Positano. Like that was unbelievable to me because here in certainly New York City, we get fruit from all over the world. We get fish, we get steak, we get things come from all over the world. There's very little that is actually grown or raised here within the five boroughs. I think we would have a hard time surviving if we lived only off of the the food that we could get within the um, you know, the the surrounding couple of miles. And so it's just different, and I, and I know that, but but that struck me as as really um, as really interesting, right? So so how can we do more of that, and how can we educate our diners on that when we do go the extra mile to uh, to do that? 
to 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 work with local farmers, right? To support the local um, the local community. I, it just I couldn't help but be touched by that fact. The next thing, the next takeaway, and it goes hand in hand. And again, maybe this will surprise no one, but everything was homemade. Nothing jarred, nothing boxed, nothing that came from uh, Cisco, nothing that, nothing. Everything was homemade, right? The sauces, the pastas, the desserts, the everything. Everything was homemade. A lot of places, you know, made their own olive oil or they worked with a, you know, a, a farmer, you know, one town over or one farm over. Everything, again, local, fresh, nothing frozen, nothing processed, and everything was homemade. I don't think I had a boxed, dried pasta the entire time. Everything was fresh. And yeah, we ate at a couple of nice meals, but also we ate in a bunch of hole-in-the-wall places, right? Just just no name, no nothing, just a random restaurant. And you could tell it was just all homemade. You could tell. And that that struck me. That That, that really struck me as profound. Again, coming from America, where so much of the stuff comes from, the Cisco's, the Whole Foods, um, the U.S. foods, the things like that, right? We, and I get it. I understand why we cut corners and all that. And I understand it's either, you know, cost of goods or cost of labor. And it costs a lot in labor to make a lot of this stuff from from scratch. But, but over there in Italy, it was just, it was not a consideration. It's just they couldn't imagine not making their own sauces, not making their own pastas and that was uh that was incredible to me as well again all the food was local fresh nothing frozen nothing processed and it was all homemade those are my first two takeaways right right off the bat and you could taste it you could tell you could tell the difference right the other thing too is we drove all around because we rented a car for the week yes i get street cred because i drove up and down the Amalfi Coast for nine days. Yes, you can uh, you can send me uh, you can applaud me uh, the next time we meet. It was uh, harrowing, uh, very very uh, anxiety producing, um, but uh, but also a, a lot of fun. It was a it was a cool adventure. But we drove all over, right, all over the coast, and then we drove into Naples and around Naples and and all of that. And you know what I didn't see? I didn't see any chains. You can't travel on a highway or a major sort of you know artery in this country without passing by the red lobsters the applebees the chilies the outbacks the carabas the on and on you know what i'm talking about right and this food is mass produced it's processed it's also often frozen or bagged it goes in a microwave or comes out of a bag and goes into a you know a single pot and there were no chains anywhere they were all independents. They were all just just hand done, handmade. So many of the audience members of this show are all independents. That's pretty much everybody I work with, right? Every client I work with. And, and again, it's primarily the audience that we've cultivated here on this show because that's who I'm really passionate about working with. And over there, there were no chains. Nobody had a fight with a chain. We didn't have to struggle with a chain to keep their business. It was all independents. That's what it was. Now, I'm sure there were restaurant groups. I'm sure there were restaurateurs uh, who owned multiple properties, multiple concepts. So maybe there's a small group, but for the most part, they're all just independent concepts, um, just independent standalone restaurants. Uh, so many of them obviously were family run restaurants. And I was really touched by that. Um, it was really, uh, it was really incredible to see, especially when you just sat back and thought about it. You say in nine days, we haven't seen anything that, that, that comes close to being a chain. That was uh, that was really cool. And again, maybe that's uh, maybe that's super obvious, but uh, it was still worth uh, worth noting. 
So I got another uh, couple of takeaways I'm going to go through in just a second after a word from another one of our sponsors. So today's episode of Restaurant Strategy is also brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern team management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. Effective team management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially as restaurants start to open back up and now start to expand their teams. Trusted by more than half a million restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to simplify scheduling, to easily manage time and attendance, to communicate with your team, and to retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll systems you already use, turning your team into a competitive advantage for your business. Right now, Restaurant Strategy podcast listeners can get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.sevenshifts.com slash restaurant strategy. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash restaurant strategy to get three months of industry-leading team management software for free. Now, we're going to go back in, right? We're talking all about these takeaways from my trip to Italy. Again, a lot of them are obvious. Certainly the uh, the early ones were obvious. All the food was local and fresh. That was the first one. Uh, number two, everything was homemade. Number three, there were no chains. Didn't matter where you looked. And we drove all over Campania, all over southern Italy. And there were no chains. Couldn't find one. If they were there, uh, I totally missed them. They were well disguised as an independent. But my gut tells me that everywhere we went, everywhere we dined at, everything we saw, uh, was an independent operator, which uh, which really which really moved me. So as we go through the rest of them now, there are, uh, maybe maybe I'm naive, and maybe these are uh, more obvious than I think. Um, but these are moving moving beyond that. So I, I want to talk about this. The hospitality. The fourth uh, the fourth takeaway here. The hospitality was truly first class, and I mean that it was just in people's bones. They just wanted to take care of you. And I don't think they did it uh, because we were tourists and they had to or whatever. Of course, we were tourists. And yes, they had to. But you could just tell this was in people's bones. And compare that to here in America where we incentivize waiters, for example, right? To give great service, right? We, we say to give great service, we, uh, we have a tipping system, right? Which sort of, in my opinion, insults the staff, right? As if they can't or won't give good service otherwise right and and over there of course europe is different the the economics of restaurants are built differently and i, I know that I'm, I'm well aware of that i, I still think uh we're gonna have to talk about uh tipping and, and the whole um and the whole system of tipping in this country over the next couple of years but what struck me over there is that the the service was truly first class and they weren't doing it because uh because the prom, you know, because there was a promise of a tip at the end. They did it because it was their job, because they wanted to, because that's what they were supposed to do. Just, sim just simply like that. And this idea, right? So my takeaway here, this idea that service staff members will only provide good service if they are incentivized to do so by the promise of a tip at the end, I think is false. And I think it's foolish. And I think it insults the people that work for us, the people that we hire and train um, to take care of our guests. And I and I really wish that the argument for tipping um, could be separated from this thing of, oh, people won't work hard unless they're incentivized to get a good tip, because I think it's BS. That's something that struck me, that, that the hospitality was first class and it wasn't necessarily because it was incentivized. Now, that, the fourth takeaway, brings us to the fifth tip, takeaway, 
which is tipping itself, right? Let's talk about tipping and let's talk about the economics of how European restaurants and certainly Italian restaurants are built, right? The service is just built into the price of the meal, which which blows you away when you see the prices. Yes, we went to a couple of Michelin star restaurants, which were expensive, uh, but we also went to a lot of just random restaurants and they very much were not expensive. I couldn't believe how cheap some of the stuff was actually that a, that a family of three, you know, could uh, eat and drink for as, as little as we as we spent. Now, one thing that, that struck me, right? That the tipping, right? There's there's no tipping there. If you if you tip, right? If your check is forty five euro and you just want to leave an extra five, right? That, that's what you do. You just leave a little something extra, right? If it's fifty eight and just want to leave a couple of bucks, you know, round it up to sixty or whatever it is, you just leave a little something extra for great service. It literally is just a tip. It's not expected. It's not how these people pay their bills. It's a it's a part of their income for sure, but it's not. You know, we are not expected as customers to uh to to provide for these people's living the the owners of the restaurants are paying them a living wage and then the tip is just a little something extra one of the things that struck me as i was looking at all the checks there uh, in italy they do this thing called coperto uh, coperto is um is a little fee anywhere between uh, you know a euro two euros three euros uh, in a fancy restaurant we went to a two-star restaurant and it was on there for nine euro right which makes sense but the coperto is um is for the bread it's for the olive oil, the salt, the pepper. It's for all the little, the little things. It's like a, it's like a per head charge that's that's added to every single check. That sort of um, that sort of pays for all of that other little stuff. And it dawned on me. I was like, we should absolutely do that. You know, this idea that we, you know, that we give bread and olive oil and butter and salt and pepper, like those things have a cost. And yes, we can very easily sort of absorb them into the pricing of the rest of the meal, but. This idea that why don't we try to recover some of that with just a per head fee, just a couple of bucks? Like I'd never, I'd never seen that. That had never dawned on me before. Um, but I sort of liked it as a restaurant professional, as somebody who works with operators all the time. I just thought that's cool. We should, we should do that here. Just a, just a dollar a head, or you know, two fifty a head. You know, who cares? It's just a little thing. We say, oh, that's for X, Y, and Z. It's a, it's a per head charge. I, I wish that was something that could, um, that would, that would catch on in this country because I think if you added two or three bucks per every cover throughout the restaurant, um, I think that would uh, start easing some of our narrow uh, profit margins. Right. The other thing um, that struck me is that the couple of places we went to where service was not included, they went out of their way to say service is not included. And they actually ran a whole separate bill for us. So we paid for the bill that went to the restaurant. And then basically there was another machine that came out where we paid the service staff. And so I just thought, well, that's really cool. Then they literally are just totally separating out um, the charges 100 uh, percent. And there was something really interesting about signing the check for the food and the beverage and then going here to the side and, and literally just focusing on this. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a matter of, of being part of the meal. It was something separate. And I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it, but it dawned on me as a really interesting way of doing things. Again, I don't know if it'll catch on here. I don't know if there's value to that, but I just share with you that experience because I think I think I guess the takeaway that I want you to get here is that like let's not just keep doing things the way they've always been done simply because that's the way it's always been done, right? I've only imagined that we, you know, print out the check and we put an extra line for the tip and so you add the tip, you add it all together and then you sign the check. That's how we do it here in the United States. That's most of how I've ever seen stuff. 
I had never thought to do it this other way. Two separate uh, charges, two separate machines, two separate transactions. And I just thought, that's interesting. I wonder what that's all about. I wonder if there's any value in, in giving that some thought. I simply share that with you. So those are the first five takeaways. Last takeaway I want to share with you today is um, it has to do with this culture, right? This culture of service over in that country. And, and it was the same a little bit in uh, Paris, right? Certainly France, uh, serv the service industry is the number one industry in that country. And it's not that way here in the United States, but it is, or pretty close to, uh, in Italy as well, just like it is in France. And it just struck me that they um, there was always a, a fight for the business, and I don't mean a struggle like a like a scrum. But for example, I use this one. I use this one example. I've told this to a couple of my clients. I'll share it with you guys here. Our first full day in uh, in Italy, we went uh, on a on a, a a boat tour, like a cruise, all up and down the coast, so we could see all these different towns and see the the coastline and everything. And then they dropped us back at the port, and we wanted a really good seafood dinner. And everyone said. I looked it up on TripAdvisor, looked it up on uh, a couple other sites, uh, and even our tour guide said, oh, this place right where I drop you, it's the best seafood in all of Sorrento. And I was like, oh, really? It looks like this sort of a hole in the wall. And and I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to it because the place was phenomenal. But there are, as you can imagine, right there on the port, there are maybe 10 restaurants all in a row there, and they're all mainly seafood restaurants. But this one in particular was was really well-reviewed. It was the top in all of these lists, and it was the one that our um, and it was the one that our uh, that our tour guide, uh, who had driven the boat, had told us to do. So we said, "Okay, I guess we'll go there." We walked up and we tried to get a table, and uh, and the hostess said, "Oh, it'll be about uh, twenty minutes. Is that okay?" And we said, "Sure, that's okay." So we kind of stepped aside, and we're just standing there waiting. We were happy to just talk about our day. Thirty seconds later, the hostess comes back and shoves two glasses of white wine in our hands. She says, "Thank you so much for waiting. Here you go." And I was like, this is awesome. So number one, I understand the strategy of it, right? There are 10 restaurants in a row, and if you were really hungry and you didn't feel like waiting for the 10 minutes, you might just as easily send somebody, right? I might have said to my wife, you know what, let me just walk down the way and see if there's another restaurant that can accommodate us sooner. And she understood this. The restaurant that we ended up going to understood this. And they said, okay, we quoted a 20-minute wait time, which was pretty much right on target. It was like 15 or 20 minutes. So she quoted a 20-minute wait time. And to make sure that we stay there, she shoved a glass of white wine in our hands. Now, it was the house wine. It was super cheap, but it was it was bright and delicious. And uh, that's all, especially after a full day out on the boat, we were sort of tired. And man, you're handing us a glass of white wine? Well, certainly, we're not going to wander off after you've given us a free glass of wine or two free glasses of wine. And she was doing that with everybody else who was also waiting for a table. She just kept shoving glasses of wine in their hands. And I just thought, Okay, number one, it's a good strategy to keep people from wandering down and checking with any of the other restaurants in that row. But number two, it was just the hospitable thing to do. And it cost them just a couple of bucks, right? If that. It was. It took so little for them to do that. It was just hospitable. And you know what happens when you start having a glass of wine. The anxiety fades away. You start settling in. You start relaxing a little bit. And you're ready for a really great meal. So 15, 20 minutes later, when she came over and said, oh, your table's ready, we were like, great. We sat down, and you know what? And then we were ready for another glass of wine. So we ordered another uh, another couple of glasses of wine. 
it just struck me as good strategy, you know, good good business practice. Um, and I didn't see any other restaurant down the road doing that. Uh, and I just thought, man, these other restaurants are watching this restaurant do this. Why are they not doing it? It was it was amazing to me. So we can we can learn from that, right? I think there's something really touching that people are willing to wait for food. And yes, this place was well-reviewed and blah, 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 but it wasn't the only, I'm sure the food all along the row was actually pretty good. I'm sure a lot of the other restaurants were pretty good. So the, the hospitality of it, again, I was sort of touched by that. Like, hey, it's good strategy to keep me there. And number two, it's just hospitable. It just puts me in a better mood. It And you know what? And here's the, here's the big takeaway, right? It exceeded my expectations, right? Whatever I thought I was going to get, most places, I go in, I ask if I can have a table, they say it's going to be 20 minutes, and I go stand and wait at the bar. Or in this case, there was no bar, so I just stood out front and waited for them to come get me. And I never expected, never in my 41 years of life, have I had just somebody come over and give me a glass of wine, simply because, right? Sometimes I've made a reservation at a restaurant, and if they're out of time, then the host comes over, the maitre d' comes over and gives me a free glass of Prosecco and says, thank you so much for waiting, we appreciate your patience, but that's to keep me from getting pissed off. This was just a, hey, thank you for being here, let's start off your night, and that that really really, really struck me. So those are my six key takeaways, and I hope you can take some insights from them. The last one, and this is like, you know, 6.5, it's not quite a, a seventh takeaway because I, it was unique to our trip, but I, I was really touched the entire trip by how hard everybody was working to make sure my six-year-old son had a great time, and he did have a phenomenal phenomenal time already he's asking when he can go back but every single place we went to two different michelin starred restaurants we went to a two-star restaurant and then we went to a one-star restaurant in both instances they welcomed him with open arms they shook his hands they asked if he wanted to go meet the chef they took him for a tour back in the kitchen they gave him little extras and goodies one of the restaurants asked if he wanted you know a simplified menu and uh, we were like no 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 no. that's not with this kid this kid wants the the full thing and he went on to order you know lobster and you know uh, full, you know, four courses and all that. Uh, but I was touched by their willingness to do it, understanding that a Michelin star in Europe um, is certainly uh, has more weight, I think, than here. But you know what? We've gone to a couple of nice restaurants with him here, and no one has ever asked if he wanted to go meet the chef. Nobody has ever asked if he wanted to get a tour of the kitchen. Nobody's offered you know, extras, brought us goodies. I remember a couple of years ago when we were in Paris, uh, they brought him a bag of candy with a balloon, right? Fancy, fancy restaurant. And they brought him a bag of candy with a balloon tethered to it, right? It was like such, they knew that that would totally, um, that that would totally light him up, that that would make him remember this meal for years and years and years to come. And in fact, we always do talk about that restaurant that gave him the candy and the balloon. I was touched as all the restaurants here in Italy tried to make the the experience special for him, knowing that the adults were going to enjoy it because the food was great, it was elegant, it was upscale, we were going to have a good time, but we could enjoy it more if they could get him to enjoy it more. And you know what? I've been to nice restaurants with him here in the city. I've been to Michelin star restaurants with him, and I've never had anybody here in the United States go out of their way in the same way 
as they did in Italy. So those are my six takeaways, six and a half there, because I was really touched by by the way they um, they cater to my son over and over and over again. It was really um, it was really incredible. So listen, that's what I wanted to talk about today. I just got back from Italy. It's fresh on my mind. I, I was I was touched by by how differently they do things there, um, by how hospitality runs in their blood. And the main takeaway, the main thing that I want you to take action on is this idea of exceeding your guests' expectations. It requires us to take a step back, close our eyes, and say, now what were they expecting in the first place? What did they expect from a meal at my restaurant? Then how can we go above and beyond? How can we exceed their expectations, right? I'm telling the story about how this woman shoved a couple of glasses of wine in our hands because I've never seen that. I've never had that. They exceeded our expectation. And it's so stupid. It's so simple. We can do that. So I challenge you to think of what what can you do to make your guests have an extraordinary experience? What can you do to exceed their expectations? Do that in big ways and in small, and you will have people talking about your restaurant, you will have people coming back to your restaurant, just like I'm here talking to you about the experiences that I had because they exceeded my expectations. And guess what? Not all the places did, but most of them, like 95% of the places exceeded our expectations and did things differently and went above and beyond and provided a level of service that we're just not used to, certainly here uh, in the United States. So in any event, that's what I wanted to talk about. Again, all my key takeaways from Italy. Uh, if you haven't done so uh, yet, uh, I'm going to beg you one last time to, uh, it's not going to be the last time you guys, I say that, I don't mean that. I'm going to ask you over and over again. If you have a few minutes to go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and a review. Really helps us out. Again, even if you don't listen on the Apple Podcast player, that's the one that moves the needle. Go, it'll take a minute or two out of your day. Five stars and leave a review. Tell people what you get out of the show, why you keep showing up week after week, why they should come be a part of the community. It really helps move the needle, helps boost us in the rankings, which I would personally appreciate as I continue uh, to grow this community. In any event, I appreciate you being here. Stay well, stay safe, stay creative, and I will see you next time.